welcome to SlayerFest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and today I'm joined by my lovely co-host, author of Surrender Your Sons, Adam Sass. Hi, Adam. Hey, Ian. We're back to Buffy Season 7. I'm finally. back on Buffy. Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is great. And I'm here for one of my faves. I'm so excited <laughs> to get into it. But very first, before we do that, we have to introduce our two fabulous guests. Uh, joining us here, first up is a pop culture artist from the UK. Nathan Wyburn. Hello. Hi, Nathan. Hello, Nathan. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, also joining us uh, as host of the Trans History Podcast, one from the vaults, also from the UK. Morgan M. Page. Hi there. Hi, Hi. Hi Morgan. Welcome. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you both on for season seven. I've been trying to make sure I get uh, new guests, first time guests for season seven. Um, and Nathan and I, I feel like, Nathan, do you even remember, like, I feel like it was like season four that you like, you and I started talking like on Twitter about having you on. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I'm just so sorry. Like my schedule is ridiculous. And I'm just so pleased that we finally managed to make this happen. Yeah, me too. Um, do you want to start us off with giving us your Buffy origin, Nathan? Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't actually remember, but I know that I would have been about eight years old. And I think my father at the time actually said that there's this cool new TV show and that we have to watch it. So I think season one was... Um, oh. a few episodes in. So I just caught up, uh, you know, on the first few episodes and then I was addicted from the start. So it was in real time, you know, I was watching oh, it in shit. real time as it came out in 97, which was just amazing. Also dropping that you were 10 to remind me and Adam that we I are was the gonna say, I was going to say, Ian, we're on that beach from old right now. Yeah, yeah sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a baby. I'm like, it was really influential to me as a fully grown adult when yeah. the show came out. <laughs> Uh, Morgan, do you want to give us your Buffy origin story? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is the culmination of my entire life being on this show right now. So I'm really <laughs> excited um, because I actually watched um, the movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer yeah. when I was maybe like seven or eight. No, maybe nine or something like that. Um, I watched the movie and I really loved it. And then I remember watching the premiere of the TV show on a Canadian channel called YTV. Oh. And um, I didn't like it when I first saw <laughs> I was like, this isn't as good as the movie. Where's Christy Swanson? <laughs> the taste. Um, yeah, and so uh, I didn't love it. And then um, obviously I continued watching and now I actually find it really hard to watch the movie. I much prefer the TV <laughs> series. But I remember writing in this like purple fluffy journal I had that I think I had stolen from a Claire's or something. I was like, this Buffy TV show is no good. How dare they ruin this perfectly good movie <laughs> i love that i you know we we do deserve uh, more paul rubens in the show so you know I, that is that is a miss but yeah um so we are here to talk uh buffy season seven sleeper um we're getting back into the swing of things we're kind of conversations with dead people was before this and kind of we just think the show kind of stays on the track of it's the first evil we're gonna there's not really a lot of uh, standalones, although this feels a little standalone-y, but it's not, right? It is mm. progressing the arc. Definitely, like, 21st century serialized storytelling taking over Buffy at this point. Yeah. Um, no more procedural stuff, no more Monster of the Weeks. 
Um, and that is, I mean, we're talking a little bit before the show, you know, I do enjoy season seven, but it's like on the lower end of my enjoyment scale, not because of whatever variety reasons, you know, maybe other people do it. Just, I do really miss the monster of the week feelings. That's why I think like some of my favorite ones are like, um, him and ones that feel a little more hearkening back. Yeah. Yeah. I, season seven is a little bit harder to just like, the beginning is easier to be like, oh, I can just put it on his background as like a fun thing. Because I feel like once we get here, it's like, oop, there's a, we're going with the whole story. Like, imagine if this had been like, a, like, like what they did with X-Files, where this was the movie. Like, where it was right. like, oh shit, we like wrapped everything up in the show. Um, and then there was this like big feature film. So this feels like it's, it feels like one big movie, which is yeah. kind of fast forward to today with, with the Marvel shows, like a little bit of the, you know, the <laughs> argument there. But um, this does feel like it is just kind of one story. I think that's why I like it, though, because I feel like the thing that I most love about season seven and like cancel me for my love of season seven. (laughs) But um, the thing that I most like is that it is a culmination of absolutely everything that's happened previously. And it is, I think, a shift into a different type of television. But I do feel like this particular episode is a slight harken back to kind of everything that has happened in the general format of the show before Conversations with Dead People, which is like probably the most modern episode of the entire series. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I agree with you, Morgan, 100%. Ooh, really? Nathan, you love season seven too? Yeah, I do. I think it's, it's you know, I get the Monster of the Week thing, and I love that, but I think... With this series, I think it just left me constantly wanting to know more. And I think watching it week by week, it it had a different kind of excitement to knowing that, okay, they've killed a big bad in that episode. What's going to be the next one? I think with this, it was a constant worry, you know, for them as characters of, you know, what's going to happen. I think that was the most exciting part of it. You know, I do think it hits differently yeah, like when you had to watch it when it aired. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, I can remember when it aired, I loved it. There wasn't a part of me that was like, mm, I don't like this. Yeah. It's more like upon a rewatch that there's stuff that when you lift up will fall apart a little bit plot wise. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you are right. Watching it live, it was like, oh shit, now. Because, you know, yeah. especially back then, it would be like, we'd get two new episodes for a month and then another, not a new episode for like two months, right? Yeah, yeah. And I remember that like killing me, being like, no, I need to know what happens. I know. Because it did feel, I mean, we knew it was the last season, but it all felt final. So like you were worried about like characters and like yep. who would die and whatever. I mean, granted, it doesn't really happen until the finale, but you kind of, knew the characters were going to die, right? Like, it felt that way. Like, I imagine, like, what if, you know, how would people today have dealt with this bingeable of a season going from September to May? Right. Yeah. Gaps and repeats and you didn't know when the repeat was coming and like, which would be like, that's <laughs> like, I can imagine that like <laughs> led to a lot of the overall muted enthusiasm. But I do think like, yeah, this was definitely giving, this was definitely giving birth to like a new era of TV. Yeah. Morgan said. yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if any of you remember, or if you also watched Angel at the time, but I remember them like promoting Eliza Dushku coming back and it was like months away and me being like, I can't believe I have to wait so long for Faith to come back. <laughs> you were Millhouse waiting for the fireworks factory. It really was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but okay, so we're here to talk about Sleeper. Um, the episode kind of picks up right where Conversations with Dead People left off. Buffy's knocking on Xander's door because that's where Spike's living. She, you know, learned from Holden 
that Spike had sired him. Yeah. So she wants to see what's going on there. Xander even mentions it's 4.30 in the morning and that Spike is out. And then we cut to Spike burying the woman we saw him bite in the previous episode and he's humming his trigger song early one morning. Mm-hmm. which I meant to look up to see if it was a real song or not, but I don't remember. <laughs> oh, it is. It's a real sort of old Irish sort of oh, really? tune. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that's kind of like, we open on Buffy's, and this is going to be the plot for the episode, Buffy kind of trying to find out what's going on with Spike. I am glad that we only stayed on this for one episode. I wouldn't have loved if it was like a mystery whether Spike was evil or not for, like if that was like an arc we had in season seven, like, ugh. Mm. I'm glad that it's this episode we find out. I mean, we don't find out exactly, but we know that it's like he's not just turned evil again and killing people. Yeah. Well, it's also like this episode is such an interesting tonal shift from conversations with dead people, Yeah. which is like, so conversations with dead people is like this really kind of artistic, almost theatrical episode that is, I think, about the emotional arcs of some of the characters, uh, whereas this is an attempt in Sleeper to return us to the plot arcs of the season. So there's, I feel like when I was re-watching it um, in advance of this, I was like, oh, wow, they're really trying to shove everything that's going to happen in the rest of this season into this one episode because they kind of blew their wad in the previous episode of like artistic kind of digression. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, right. Yeah. Conversation with dead people is such a weird, like, I mean, it's wonderful, but it is so different in all the ways. Like it has a title card. It says the timestamp. Yeah, no, um, I agree with that. Uh, So, you know, then we go to the post credits and we, See, we check in on this watcher named Robson. Um, he's looking for Nora, who one assumes is his slayer. He finds her dead on the ground, and he's attacked by the bringers. Yeah. Which at this point, I don't think we knew it was the first evil, but like we knew, right? Like, <laughs> because we had seen the bringers in uh, Amends in season three. Mm-hmm. I don't know if any of you remember, like, the. I remember the message boards going like wild with like theories and whatever, but I remember it being clocked like very from that first episode. Oh, this is the first evil. And like kind of knowing that it is, but that's what it's supposed to be. Did were any of you like unsure? Like, do you remember watching it and not knowing or what? I was surprised because I didn't remember that episode in the third season. Like that's maybe fair. I had missed it or something. And so it took me, I was like, who are these guys? <laughs> and still sometimes when I'm rewatching, I, like about once a year, I'll rewatch the entire series because mm. I'm a giant nerd. And um, still, I'm always like shocked when I get to that third season episode and I'm like, oh, it's all right here. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I actually, I loved that episode in season three. Um, and I think it's one of my favorites ever. And I don't know if it's because it's Christmassy or what, but I like, I just absolutely love it. So when I started seeing the, the bringers again, I was like, this is going to be a good series. <laughs> so I knew that, yeah, there was going to be a big you know, twist. And the way it links in with Angel and how they managed to have the conversations um, f- from Angel to Buffy and Buffy to Angel on the shows as well. I think it was great because obviously it was him that was first attacked by them. And I think it was such a cool link to allow Angel to come back into the situation as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I will say when I watched 
the series, I didn't like Amends. Like, I thought it was kind of like a, a slog of an episode. But now as an adult, I'm like, no, that's a fucking good episode. Yeah. And the end makes me cry yeah, a lot. Yeah, crying. I mean, come on. Like, that is just epic. I mean, Sarah Michelle Gellar, whenever there's a scene where she's crying, like, she commits and I am usually yeah. crying. <laughs> yeah, same. Same. Um, but so then we... He gets stabbed. This watcher gets stabbed. And we kind of don't really know what's going on, but like that is what's going on. Um, he gets stabbed by the bringers. And then we just cut to Willow arriving at the Summer's residence. And she's looking for Buffy, but she finds Dawn in the aftermath of conversations with dead people. Mm-hmm. And I I love that Willow is immediately like, oh, Dawn, are you like Willow's very tender with Dawn. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when when we see later when Buffy runs in, she's like, downstairs looks like hell, but Willow doesn't, there's no like, oh my God, this place looks a mess. She's just like, are you okay? Let me look at you. Like, let me see that you're all right. Um, and I feel bad for Dawn. I don't know. How do you guys feel? <laughs> yeah, I think she definitely had the tougher end of the bargain with, you know, what happened to her. Right. Um, there, I think she did. And this, this is the thing, and I'm one of those people that I... I used to hate Dawn, but the more I've watched it back, like I feel sorry for her in nearly every episode. She's so hard done by and she didn't ask for any of this crap. And she was just <laughs> tormented every time. Um, yeah, I felt a bit bad for her. And I think, yeah, you're right about Willow. I think she just has that tender way with her. But I think that's guilt as well because of season six. Yeah, I mean, also that, yeah. <laughs> Morgan, yeah. What, give me your Dawn hot take. I mean, my hot take, first of all, is that Willow is um, Dawn's mother. <laughs> In my mind, like, she's like Dawn's adoptive mother because Buffy, for various reasons, can't emotionally commit to actually raising her sister. Yeah. Um, and so, like, Willow takes over. Um, obviously, Tara also kind of took over for a while. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I think Dawn has it so hard there. And it's really, this is one of the, I don't know if it's really the B story or the C story in this episode, but you see the constant return to Dawn asking questions Mm. about this later. Um, So it's definitely one of the important pieces that continues throughout the episode and actually affects kind of the rest of the season because it sets up this idea that ultimately Don cannot trust Buffy. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like half true. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's really, it's really quite um, emotional when you have uh, Willow taking care of her in that moment. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, later when Buffy shows up being like very matter of fact about what has gone on and kind of more in control of um all of these situations from the previous episode than Buffy is like Buffy seems like she's really caught on her back foot about it. Whereas Mm -hmm. Willow's like, she's figured it out. She knows what's going on at least to some extent. I do love that Willow pretty, pretty early on is like, no, these were like, this is the big, like she doesn't know it's the first evil, but she knows it's whatever big bad is. And she knows it's like fucking with them. Um, And I do love seeing Willow like immediately pick up and be like, Nope, this is what it is. This is what's going on. Buffy, which is true to Buffy, is more like, what do I fight? And Willow's more like, let me figure out what this thing is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and the way the way Michelle Trachtenberg delivers the line of, she was right here. Like, I felt so bad for Dawn, because like her mom was right there. But, you know, 
Willow got the buffer of it not being Tara, which I am very thankful that Amber Benson did not want to do that episode. But Dawn did see the face of her mother, like, in the first evil. And I feel like that's more rough is like actually seeing the dead person than seeing someone pretending to talk for the dead person. And yeah, I think, I I think Michelle Trachtenberg, even in the previous episode too, does some like really good acting with Dawn. Um, And it's season seven Dawn. I mean, I've said this before is a Dawn. I like is the Dawn. I like way better. I think they do a lot, a lot of good character work, making her likable Um, and just letting her be like a teen girl rather than just being like this child who is crying all the time. Mm-hmm. Even though I also would have been the child who's crying all the time if I had the same life Dawn had. Yes, 100%. <laughs> right. I was going to say, Ian, this would have been... <laughs> I love you, Everyone to get out. I, I would, there would have been a... There, yeah, there would have been... Yeah. <laughs> to be visited by a thimble full of what Dawn has been visited by. <laughs> it would be like, while I'm not leaving this bed for the remainder of the season. Yeah. <laughs> Great. You have fun with the first evil. I'm going to be here and I don't even knock on my door. I don't care how many people are in the house. You should probably get out of bed because the whole town is getting sucked into the, the hell. You know, no. I'm good here. Go away. <laughs> Leave me here. I kind of wonder if, you know, that Joyce moment, not to get us off the topic of the current episode, but in conversations with dead people, I wonder if we would have collectively reacted to Joyce as strongly if Tara had been in the episode because I think emotionally the fans would have reacted stronger to Tara. Yeah. And I think it would have changed the whole rest of this episode, you know, because I think um, because Joyce is the only one who actually is a dead person that we have this intense multi-season connection with and the character does, we end up identifying with Dawn um in this episode quite strongly and with her like her fears and confusions in a way that i think it just would have been really different if tara had been in it instead of that other girl cassie was the character i think yeah and i mean i think azora sky who played cassie does a really good job but yes i do agree with you i think and i mean not that that i'm for dawn the character it's still difficult but tara you know, in the realm of the show, viewers had more recently experienced Tara's death. Joyce was one we kind of were able to sit with. We had a whole episode to sit with her death. We watched them all grieve. We watched the funeral. Tara, we didn't get yeah. a funeral. We didn't get a grieving episode. We just went straight into Evil Willow's going to destroy the world um, and didn't get moments to pause and grieve. Um, that's why I am very glad earlier in season seven, we do get Willow visiting Tara's grave. Yeah. But I, yeah, I think like the reaction would have been, it would have felt more cruel to Willow and to the audience, honestly, to yeah. have <sighs> Tara's face telling Willow to kill herself, right? Well, at that point, I honestly, like, I, this is just rewriting things, but like kind of going with that, I mean, it, it would have been a stronger choice since we all did have to see in amends Jenny Callender come back. Um, right. And I feel like if I was... I'm not even saying this is kind of what the situation was, but I would say like, I would have rather rewritten the script. So the first avoided trying to get Willow to do that. Like I would have cut that line out and that sort of line of thinking out before rebooting the whole thing. Cause I don't think the, the, the getting Willow to, you know, kill herself was, was, you know, maybe the most important takeaway of that because like all of them were, 
um, you know, menaced in some way. So I do think, you know, that it would have been at least some sort of, hmm, I don't know. I go back and forth. Yeah, I think, I think she, I think that bit of her um, trying to kill herself. I think it's because they knew that she was the strongest situation that they needed to deal with, and I think that's why obviously they're trying to mm-hmm. deal with Spike as well in this episode. More so, they're trying to cut them off one by one, aren't they? Right. Like, did they foresee? Yeah, they her knew bringing the potentials. In. Okay. Yeah, Willow had the power. She's the strongest out of all of them, isn't she? As Buffy says on that final episode. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I would have like convinced her to go evil again or like re-triggered yeah. her or something. Yeah, yeah, that, that could have been a cool route. And yeah, Adam, that might have been more like, oh, just go evil and kill everyone. Remember you almost that, said that, that last season. That would have been so much because she, she, through very, very, very conscious training, is not going evil. Because again, it's like the reason she went evil is because of the loss of terror. So I think re- you know, reoperating. If I was the first, that, that, that's what I would do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I do. It does bother me that the Dawn Joyce plotline is kind of dropped after this episode. But I wanted to ask everyone: Do we think it's supposed to play a part in them kicking Buffy out of the house? Like, do we think maybe that was the influence Dawn had there at the end when she kicks them out? I don't know. Uh, what do you think, Morgan? I do. I think that is a big part of Dawn's motivation. I think it sets up this split between Buffy and Dawn. Like not that they've ever really been that deeply connected. Like they've always had their issues, but I think it for this season is, you know, the grain of sand that ends up irritating the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So to me, it is what sets up um, Buffy being kicked out. hundred percent. I agree. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, what do you think? I mean, I think even thinking about remembering Buffy being kicked out in the season <laughs> reminds me why I don't like this season. <laughs> um, I think it's just absolutely like, I'm just, I'm like, so like, I, even from a creative standpoint, I'm just like, mistake. Um, I completely but, disagree. I'm like, oh no, God. it's the best thing, the best uh, thing that could have happened. I mean, it's realistic <laughs> in the fact that uh, if you've been helping people out your entire life, uh, those people, Instead of being grateful, we'll just get bitter and angry and turn on you. That is very real. Yeah. <laughs> so that is real in that way. Well, plus we also needed to test faith. You yeah. know, I feel like it gives faith a chance to try to be good for once, <laughs> like really try to be good. And I'm a big faith fan, like a really big faith fan. So for me, I was kind of living for that moment, even though it doesn't go well, even though it gets messed up. I think there's something really um, powerful about Faith's character journey from the whole beginning of her character in like, what is it? Season three. Season three. yeah, Yeah. All the way up to season seven. I think we see this transformation from zero responsibility faith to faith finally having to take responsibility for other people. So even though like I I identify with Buffy in that moment, I'm like, how dare you all kick me out of this house? Um, I think the payoff of getting to see faith step up as a leader is really worthwhile. Yeah. And I think that also then allows us as viewers to realize that although we all obviously love faith, everybody loves faith. um, She's not ever going to be quite Buffy. So she obviously messes it up and right. she can't she can't quite do the do the job, you know? And right. 
Well, I like think, all fun ants, you know, they do realize eventually, like, yeah. oh, shit, I gotta <laughs> do this. Right, I have to, mm, nah, I have Adam, to be that's no, so accurate. I have to be no fun. fun. I have to be no fun. Ah, damn it. <laughs> Looks like there was a reason I couldn't just let everybody do when I really want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, so we cut back to Buffy and Xander. He's She's telling him about Holden. She's kind of telling him everything that she was told last night. Um. And Xander's all like, oh, we got to do CSI to investigate. Yeah. She insists that Buffy, that, that Spike has changed. I do, I go back and forth from Spice, Spike's arc here in season seven, but I do appreciate that, and it does track that Buffy would notice the change in him with his soul, because mm-hmm. um, she spent the most time with him. So I appreciate that she is like still defending the fact that he has changed, like she's noticed it. Hands up as to whether uh, I feel good about her being the one to defend him, but it does track she would notice the change in him post soul. Xander annoyingly yet rightfully says the chip wasn't working when he hurt Buffy. But that's because she died. Right, right, right. right, yeah, right. Well, yeah, she knows, but I don't think she ever. No, that was never really said, was it? Yeah. Uh... And then Spike comes home and we get like a. I gotta say, this is the first scene that um, SMG and James Marsters have together, but they're they're definitely like his. Their acting is like a plus here. I think their scenes yeah. together are like really good, and James Marsters is committing yeah. to this mm. version of Spike. And I, I, I don't know. I think he's great. The tension is so good in this scene, right? It, because they're talking about nothing interesting, but because <laughs> we know of the conversation that Buffy just had with Xander right before we are at the edge of our seats wondering (laughs) like, what's he going to say? Is he going to like let on that anything has happened? Right. So yeah, I think they really carried off the tension in this scene just perfectly. Um, We all know Xander's hate for Spike. (laughs) (laughs) It's very like, it's very tense, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> yeah and yeah because it's awkward for like 800 reasons right because yeah. we have xander xander hates him anyway um we're trying to figure out if he did do the killing because at this point the audience doesn't know that it's like he's being controlled we mm-hmm. just know what buffy knows and we saw him literally kill that woman um so we know that he did at least kill one woman and one assumes that holden wasn't lying since we got to see the way he interacted with buffy that he didn't seem like he like he was just like oh did you say spike that guy sired me like it wasn't like there was didn't feel like a setup right um so spike kind of is just like i'm gonna go to bed and even xander is like he was cool as cool whip um because he didn't react to uh holden's name but a thing i thought of was would spike necessarily even if he wasn't being controlled would he necessarily know the name of everyone he's murdered no right like, it's very possible he'd be like, I don't know who that is. I remember killing someone, but I don't know who that is. Was, was that his name? Like, <laughs> Yeah, definite plot hole there, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, who whomst has not been at a bar and gotten drunk and made out with someone and then not remembered their name, right? I feel like it's like that, but worse. <laughs> They're the best ones. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right now, I'm, like, struggling to remember, like, people I've fully dated for multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> you're like the guy had the hair i don't know it's like <laughs> i don't know I, 
don't know. He was selective memory. <laughs> I mean, important sidebar question, but do you think Sunnydale has a bathhouse? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and how many vampires uh, frequently attend? Oh well, I feel I like we saw that a little. I feel like we saw the spirit of that uh, in season five when Riley went to that like bordello oh, yeah. um, kind of thing. So I'm sure. Again, oh, if yeah. Straight's doing it, then we're guaranteed. We figured it out 15 years earlier. Yeah. <laughs> 15 years earlier. Right. By the time the show begins, it's like, okay. We the mayor it. had built the bathhouse. <laughs> just no swearing. He loves yeah. a sauna, you know. He just yeah. loves to have a sweat every now and then. Uh, you know. Just as long as that Balthazar is not in there, that's fine. <laughs> so Xander says he can't watch Spike. Yes. Because he has like a business meeting and Buffy's very like, this is serious as if like his career is not. <laughs> and who do we get to watch Spike, Adam? Oh my God. Who does watch Spike? I don't set me up for failure it's here. It's Anya. Anya yeah. <laughs> yes. Which is the best reveal on so many levels when they right. cut to Anya because <laughs> she is like... A huge coward, <laughs> and also, at least at this part of the series, she's a total coward, um, and also hates to do things for the Scoobies. <laughs> like she's barely on side with them. <laughs> right. Like, like, so, like just recently, like de evilled herself. Like two episodes ago. Yeah, I I love the reveal, and I think. Uh, Emma Caulfield is so good this season. It feels like she's almost on autopilot for like she's embodying Anya so much yeah. that even like these like throwaway scenes are so fucking enjoyable. Cause I love that she's like, absolutely not. Like she's already there and she's like, wait, no, because Xander didn't tell her that it like why she needed to watch Spike, which I would be real pissed about too. And I love that it's like, I think Anya looks great. And I love that she's kind of it feels like she's very much over Xander at this point, right? Like she's like fine. Like Xander is not over her, which yeah. fuck off with that. But it feels like she's like, you know, they're having like, this is like two people who care about each other, but like annoy each other having an argument. Right. And I appreciate that uh, progression of their relationship. Xander makes some dumb digs. Like she's like, she doesn't want to be alone with Spike. And he's like, yeah. wouldn't it be the first time. And I'm like, Oh my God, I would leave. I'd be like, you know what? Fine. Let him bite you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then she says like if if i get vamped i'm gonna bite your ass and he says wouldn't be the first time yeah so then we cut back to buffy's yelling for dawn running up the steps and willow catches i guess yeah we don't see dawn in this scene but willow kind of catches buffy up this is where willow's like it's the big evil that she the quote is this big evil that's promised to devour us i think it started chomping which i thought was a really good line yeah and you know willow catches on that like whatever it is it knows them you know it kind of it knew to appear as cassie talking through tara and knew to appear as joyce and it, she tells buffy like but dawn actually saw your mother and then buffy tells willow about spike yeah which got me thinking but i guess we we did kind of talk about this i was like why didn't the first actually visit buffy but i guess it would make sense it would want to kind of like rot the friend group first yeah. And like attack her. Like it's trying to like separate then kill, right? I guess that's a tactic it was going for. Yeah, because I think they were trying to do everything like, um, you know, because they were operating from a place of 
semi-anonymity. I think that's like yeah. kind of what every big bad gets themselves into trouble for is like once Buffy and the gang knows what they're kind of up against, yeah. that's when they sort of close ranks. But like, if you kind of still leave it a little opaque and like, well, who is doing this? I think that's kind of where they yeah. operate best. I, I think it's said later in the episode as well. Um, when the first spike says um, she's not part of the plan yet, we're not ready for the Slayer. So I yeah. think that the plan was get rid of Willow by going to kill herself, get rid of Spike, and then maybe Buffy. So they were probably trying to kill off the stronger characters, um, stronger people, I think. So Willow and Spike were deemed stronger by the first and like they are, mm-hmm. so you mean they yeah. weren't trying to kill off Sander with his business meeting and can't even oh help god. watch anybody? Yeah, I know. Oh my god, and that suit is just—I hate Sander in a suit. It's awful. <laughs> I love that he like fully like flops on even this slight ask, and then like a second later, like a few episodes later, he's just like, "I don't do anything here." <laughs> <laughs> he's just poor uh, Sander. Uh, like early two thousands tailoring left a lot to be desired. He's swimming <laughs> in his clothes yes. this entire it's season. Like a Dick Tracy Bell in that suit. <laughs> it's awful. And there's there's even like an architect table in the room that Spike is sleeping in, as if Xander actually draws architect stuff. <laughs> like, come on, he's useless. <laughs> uh, it's funny because every time. Uh, uh, Matt Van Dyne, who I have at the end of a fashion roundup, he's always like, you know, I really like the way I dress the women. I think it, a lot of it can carry over. But when he he's, but then he's always like, oh, but the baggy clothes I put the men in. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was the style back then, but yeah, it rough. And speaking of speaking of clothes, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get onto it at some point. Spike is like half naked for almost all, all this episode, and I am oh happy about that. <laughs> oh my god, yes. As in, so we. <laughs> We cut to Anya waking up from like a nap on the couch and yeah. she decides to snoop in the room Spike sleeping in, which she had asked Xander if he had snoop because she said serial killers like to keep like tokens. I think it's very yeah. weird that they start using the term serial killer when it's like, just say vampire. I don't know. Right. Like, yeah. Eh. Um, well, I think I, that speaks to like how much they've humanized him as a character yeah. and they like collectively except Xander everybody forgets that he is a vampire at the end of the day (laughs) and that's one of Xander's big criticisms of Buffy and everyone else's treatment of Spike is like but he's a vampire why don't we just slay him (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and I love this scene I like love everything about this scene I feel like Adia is very relatable in this whole scene she's like very bad at pretending and yeah, when she walks in, uh, Nathan, you pointed out, not only is Spike naked, but that sheet is like just covering his crotch oh, and is like pulled down to almost his knee. Um, oh so we can see his very nice torso and like his fucking hip bones. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, good for him, though. He looks, he lo- I, I think often of how when we had James Marsers on, he said that when Mark Blutus was told to be shirtless, they didn't give him an advance notice. And how understandably people, you know, they want some notice before they're going to be shirtless. Mm-hmm. And he was told he was going to have to be shirtless a lot. So he like worked out a lot for any time. If he knew he had to be shirtless, he was working out so much so that he looked like his best. And I mean, oh, he, he, always, he, he always looks his best. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the man that is really hot. worked out. You know, <laughs> it really worked out for all of us, I think. <laughs> For our advantage, so thank you. So for funny, managing. like I, like I, I, like I, my editor was asking for 
like a, a, a new author photo and I was like, you're going to need to give me at least four months notice for a new author <laughs> photo. <laughs> it's like, tell me what time you need it. Okay, that's too, that's too early. You're going to have to send this video by December. But like, right? You got to... Right. That's like... I like I mean, give me some time. That's like whenever uh, Zach, who also is on the podcast a lot, Zachary, uh, he would be like, oh, we're going to do it live in 20 minutes. He'd be like, that is not enough time for me to be on like a live video looking cute. I need way more time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so Anya is snooping and Spike wakes up and grabs her arm and is like, what's the, oh, do, do be specific and tell a fellow what you're doing here. And they both are so hot in this scene. I was like, ooh, and I love mm. that he's the naked one and she's the fully clothed one. Like I, I often feel like we sexualize Spike, which I feel good about because it's like not especially back then what happened often. But Anya in this scene is, I just have never related to her more. She's like terrible at lying. She's like, it's not like I'd be snooping for proof that you're a serial killer. I forgot I even said that. (laughs) (laughs) Everything about this scene is perfect. And especially because I feel like Spike and Anya are in two different like TV series in this <laughs> scene. Like, I feel like I was just rewatching it and I was like, Anya is an SNL character in this episode <laughs> and Spike is in a very serious drama. And then so true. she throws him off so much. Um, my favorite bit is when, um, he starts reassuring her that it's not that she's not sexy and she (laughs) takes it the wrong way. And I think completely forgets like the danger she had felt five seconds before. And she's like, it's because you think I'm fat or else it's the hair. (laughs) He's like, no, the dude is very fetching. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just feel like I relate so much and Adam a little bit. You too. I feel like of like, I'm going to pretend, but I'm still going to get my feelings hurt about the thing I'm pretending. Like that's like, (laughs) yeah, you sort of bring it up in a jokey way in order to like, it's like the comfortable way to say it. Like, I do want to say this, but I'm uncomfortable being very direct about it. So I'll just kind of bring it up in a ha ha way. (laughs) uh yeah i just love that like because we will get a reference to the hair again later on when she like tries to sleep with that like very gross like demon that has like one eye and like gross skin over the other and she's like i'll have sex with you and he's like no you look human and she's like i can't even give it away in this town it's my hair isn't it giles and like i just love the idea of harping on this because again i relate to that and even like he's like i need my pants and she's still like sitting on top of him and just throws them at him yeah and the cut to her pretending to read the magazine that says sex on it. And he's like, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. And she's like, who's hurt? I'm fine. Just flipping through the magazine. <laughs> I just love Anya so much. Okay. Also, like when she went to like make out with him, she went to bite his neck, which I thought was a really kind of like cute thing because she was worried about getting bitten herself. Yeah. <laughs> she bit his neck. And then he was like, whoa. <laughs> or when he notices that she's holding a... Uh... Uh, like steak yeah <laughs> and she's like "Ooh, kinky <laughs> <laughs> which if we recall spike did have harmony pretend to be the slayer and she was holding a steak so like that could track if it were spike and two the seasons buffy ago. bot you know yeah. like i mean and buffy right like she is the slayer so then we cut to adam are they in the grove they have to be or like because right? again like i think that was around 
they did a lot of stuff in the Grove. Um, yeah. Because it was sort of so new. The Grove is this big outdoor mall in Los Angeles. And it was... Oh, was a, it new back then? It was brand... So they yeah. had the Farmer's Market, which is attached to this. This is a little... For the LA history nerds listening, <laughs> um, yeah, the Farmer's Market has been there since like the 20s or 30s. Um, but then they built this sort of... Sort of cheesecake factory vibed uh outdoor mall um on top of that and they must have done that i think 2000 or 2001 um mm, and a good. lot of um like hbo like that era of stuff like the comeback shoots shot there um the, i know six feet under did some stuff there so it's like all very that so yes yeah, i, was I like, think that is the grove yeah okay because i was like adam might know because i felt like it was too big to be like just a like random Buffy set, right? I, it's, I'm telling you, I like I worked in the Grove for four years. I've been there a zillion times. Um, I love it. I miss it. But it's yeah, I would know it like the back of my hand. I don't know if we noticed. There's like an old man playing the harmonica, and he's also playing the song. Mm-hmm. Um, so Buffy's following Spike, and uh, we see Spike taking a lady to the alley. Buffy does not find him, but the first as Buffy does. And I do appreciate that Sam Richard Geller is like always like has like a shit eating grin on her face when she's playing the first. So she was like, mm, yeah. I'm going to do something chaotic. So she encourages him to kill this person. He does. And then he runs away because he's confused. doesn't know what's going on. I'm still not even at the end of this episode. I was wondering. So it's like Spike kind of remembers, right? Like it's a trigger, but he's still it's not like he's like completely gone. Right. Mm yeah it's very ambiguous um you know and maybe it's like he starts to forget or it's some kind of repression thing going on Um, but you know what i think is really interesting about this is first of all it isn't just a buffy set um and this is probably the most populated we ever see sunnydale in the entire series Mm -hmm. um i've never seen so many people on buffy like if you watch most episodes where they walk through the sunnydale set there'll be a couple people wandering around or like at the bronze they'll fill it full of people but you never see that many people out in public before and so it's really um, uh, almost jarring when I was rewatching it. I was like, yeah. oh my God, that's that's a lot for Sunnydale. It's a swing and night in Sunnydale. <laughs> yeah, like it's not, it's usually, I feel like when I think of Sunnydale, I think of like that one street, like mm-hmm. with the movie theater or the outdoor, like it's the one street. But yeah, this is, I think this is definitely like opening up the world a bit more, which, yeah. which I is enjoy. like, a theme in this episode, actually, because not to skip ahead, but we get Amy Mann at the bronze mm-hmm. get, delivering that incredible line, which we'll probably discuss a little yeah. later, where she's <laughs> like, I hate playing vampire towns. And it's like, again, a kind of gesture to the fact that there is a world outside of Sunnydale, you yeah. know, and like even the end of the series is kind of a, we're closing the book on Sunnydale, but we're opening up the rest of the world to you or like the mm-hmm. whole, all these flashes of the Slayerettes across the world. I think that's like a big theme in this season is that it's not just Sunnydale that actually, and it's not just one girl. It's like all these girls all over the world are involved in some way. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I mean, I don't know if you remember, there were so many rumors of so many different spinoffs that were like going to happen that never happened. Um, remember there was like the Dawn spinoff, there was the Faith spinoff, which I think they actually did pitch, but then they did Dollhouse instead. Wasn't there um, a Giles spinoff? Was there, yeah, there was, there was even going to be like, right? 
a BBC like Ripper show, which Adam, I feel like you and I both would have loved that. <laughs> like I, that would have just that would have been it. It just would have been it. Um, <laughs> and I feel like had Buffy come out like in the 2010s, like it would we would have been lousy with spinoffs. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because I mean, they, it was all there. I mean, I do remember Sam Michelle Geller saying a lot back then during like promo tours of like, oh yeah, I'm not doing Buffy anymore. Her, she did always say like, she felt any of those characters could have had their own spinoff. And I, I actually do agree with her because I mean, at that point we were leaving Sunnydale. We could have gotten a Willow show if we wanted because she could have gone elsewhere and we didn't have to have Sam Michelle Geller. We, you know, we could have gotten the Giles show. Um, and a I mean, I'm always Buffy extended cinematic universe could have happened. <laughs> it's so true. Like, again, yeah. like, I feel like, I mean, like thinking of what supernatural has now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's definitely like, kind of think of that. We're just maybe not the like 14, 15 seasons, in it, but <laughs> like, uh, like some, some like they, like they would have continued in that, in that, in that fashion. And, you know, and, and honestly, it just, Buffy just kind of, began all of that it was it was not yeah. done because they were doing such new things and yeah i mean yeah right now right now like in 2021 this kind of show wouldn't seem as like revolutionary but back then you're right adam it really did kind of kick off in the same <sighs> way that scream kind of like okay it wasn't an original thought but it kicked off that like that genre that you know right? that sort of and that flavor like if you watch halloween yeah. h2o you're like oh this is scream but it's not. right yeah um <laughs> like no offense like i love that movie but like it just that is the flavor um yeah and i feel like i wish that had happened because you know not to just to quick dip the toe into this pool i I feel like there was such a wide breadth of writing and creative and show running talent within buffy i feel like that would have done a lot of work to sort of really separate buffy's universe from like joss I feel like yeah. this would have, you would have had like, this is the Jane Espenson show and this is the David Fury show. And this, you know, these are the, this is the Marty, and then Marty Knox would take over the, the main story. I feel like it would have done a lot of work to sort of really firmly establish all of the different writing, you know, like sort of different vibes they could have each brought to each one. Like one could have been more humorous. One could have been a little nerdier. Yeah. Uh, I, we would have loved the Jane Ascension show, whichever one she got. I mean, you know that wouldn't would have been would have been it, you know. So. <laughs> so Spike has just killed that girl in yeah. the tragic purple two piece <laughs> outfit. Uh, oh, the uh, <laughs> sparkly velour purple. <laughs> and I feel like since you and I just finished watching um, and loving Girls Five Eva on Peacock, I feel like this really, really harkens back to that time. <laughs> <laughs> where uh, Wiki calls her her style uh, purple expensive. <laughs> <laughs> also, really- her her hair. I got really obsessed when I was rewatching. I was like, not only is she in this purple velour sparkly outfit, she has this weirdly nineteen sixties like bumped up hair. It just oh god, it was driving me crazy. I think it's the worst outfit of the whole episode, if I'm gonna yeah. be honest. It's yeah, worse yeah. than Xander's um weirdly bulky suit, you know? Yeah. I don't <laughs> think I don't think that WandaVision episode where they do the two thousands was cruel enough. <laughs> no. No. Was cruel enough. I don't think it was. I think it definitely skewered it skewered, um <laughs> but uh yeah I think it definitely could have been a little even more like <laughs> It yeah. is. 
Yeah. <laughs> he actually reminded me that that girl that got killed by Spike. She reminded me of the character in School Hard, which is obviously Spike's first episode in season two. Um, the the truant um, girl that was getting kicked out of school all the time that he oh, ended yeah, up yeah. In, he ended up actually biting her and vamping her. And I actually thought it was like the same actress at one point. And I thought <laughs> that they were trying to like fuck with our heads um, because he was starting to bite again. Um, I thought it was that girl, but it's not. That's funny. God, now I'm trying. Now I'm like quickly like of oh, Sheila. Her name was Sheila, right? Sheila, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it was like I, I like a bad boy kind of thing. It was the same vibe, and it was like oh, okay, there's a link here. <laughs> but I just uh, make that stuff up in my head, you know. <laughs> so then we cut to Buffy. I guess it's the next day or whatever. She's like going to Xander's house, and she's knocking Spike out of bed. And this is another scene, I gotta say, the acting here is just A+. plus. Like, they are... And the way Buffy is lit is really nice. Like, yeah. Spike's a little more in the shadow, and Buffy's, like, well-lit. But it almost looks like there's a spotlight on her, which probably there was. But yeah, I think the... I mean, you mentioned Morgan earlier in the episode, there's, like, you feel the tension, and you really feel it here. Because even though what they're talking about is him possibly doing murder again, it's like there's still more to it, right? Like... There's still, uh, we have the awkwardness of like, they're kind of exes, but not really. And like, I don't know. The tension is just there. Did you, what do you think of the scene, Morgan? I mean, there's just layers on layers because I feel like part of the reason Buffy doesn't want to believe that he's biting people again is because she is working really hard to forgive him for what he did in season six. Yeah. And I feel like the only way I think in her head, she's like, I have to move past this. I have to forgive you for this horrible thing that you tried to do. Um, And the only way I can do that is by really believing that you have a soul now and you have changed. Um, And so it's like, almost like she's on the precipice of kind of having her feelings around that be kind of triggered, you know, like throughout this whole episode, I think that's one of the tensions that's going on. Even when the only person who speaks it is Xander, of course. Um, But I think that is the kind of underlying, but then you also have this kind of, are they exes? Are they still kind of involved with each other? Do they still kind of love each other? Like it's just layer on layer on layer. Nathan, what do you think about this scene? Yeah, I think it's so amazing how uh, James Masters goes into that um, sort of I love you Buffy voice. You know, he goes into like this feeble little boy almost, you know, when, when he's like, it's always been you, Buffy. It always is you. I love that that tone that he does. I think it's it's absolutely incredible. And And she's just like, yeah, I know but she still doesn't trust him. It's, it's yeah. really, it's, it's really quite amazing. And I just, this episode in general, how it, it just goes, it's a credit to James's acting, obviously how he goes from pure evil, even though he's not evil to a cute little boy that just loves this woman. It's, it's quite, yeah. it's quite amazing. Amazing acting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would have to agree. It's, it's, it definitely is hard to revisit, um, as an adult versus a kid, you know, like the teen yeah. when I watched it. Um, Cause you know, I had never been in a relationship with it. I, I feel like at this point, like, yeah, like Morgan said, like you're, you're just watching someone trying really, really hard to like f- protect her peace. Yeah. Um, 
because again, it's it's like there's a she wants to forgive Spike not for Spike's sake, but for her own. Like, just she does not have bandwidth in her mind and body to deal with another. Just like how to navigate that shit with everything else kind of going on. Like, I, that's something that definitely kind of spoke to me on the second go round um, because it's very difficult. You know, it's just, it's extremely difficult, you know, even with something, you know, not as intense as, as the crime that, you know, Spike had did to her, but it, it's, it's just extremely difficult, the, you know, the, the thornier the relationship gets. Um, and you just want so badly to just be able to focus on your thing. But like, yeah, when, when the person just keeps messing up and you're just like, man, I've given you 7 million chances. It's just, it's, it's. You feel her. I feel like season seven is very much like Buffy's burden season, and that's why it's not as fun as the high school seasons. But it's you know it's definitely a lot of a more real, um, in, with farther reaching you know emotional arcs because it's just like you're watching her deal with some of the worst worst crap that yeah. adults have to deal with. Yeah, yeah, and I mean. I think Sarah does bring that in her acting. Like SMG very much like conveys that with Buffy. Like she is having to feel harder, but I think it's understandable that she's being a little harder than she normally was. Right, Adam? Yeah. I mean that, I mean, it's, it's understandable. And I did this, this, this season more than anything is where I wish they had just like freaking given us a time jump of a few <laughs> years. Cause I'm just like, she can't be 22. Right. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But uh, you know that is that is that is that's more retconning for me. But no, like I mean, I think for you know for what the you know the, the job was at hand. I think this is. I, I think about that yeah. a lot more now, Adam, as like an adult, right? Because like twenty two, I no way I could deal with any of this shit. I could barely deal with it now. Oh <laughs> my god! Yeah, like paying a bill. Yeah, no, not good. <laughs> you and I would be having like nervous breakdown after nervous breakdown. <laughs> I'm doing that now at like three, and like I can't. <laughs> So that's why I'm not chosen. <laughs> yeah, that's why we are not the chosen ones. Uh, so we then cut to the ladies at the Summer's house. They're doing their investigation thing. Um, Anya has some good lines here. I love that Buffy's like, you know, she says, find me evidence he did this. And Anya even says, really? Are you sure that's what you want? Because Anya, as always, can read. She like very is very good at like reading these people. Yeah. And it just, right, she just always is. Um, and like you said, Morgan, we go back to Dawn when she's like, oh, so like, so like she says they were all told things that weren't true that night. And Willow's like, well, you know, it doesn't mean the things they said weren't true. And Anya has that really good line of, I used to tell the truth all the time when I was evil, <laughs> <laughs> which is so good. And like, Adam, you know what I thought of? I thought of like, when we talk about like Twitter villains, mm. I almost feel like sometimes that's that, right? <laughs> I mean, it's always a villainous thing to just be like, what? I'm right. Why are you moving? <laughs> right. That's yeah. that is kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. God, it's always that. <laughs> so we like do a little bit of the back and forth with Dawn. Um, and then Anya's like, well, if Spike's doing more biting, shouldn't there people be people with neck trauma? Willow looks it up and says, no, but that there are people that are missing. Mm-hmm. So we cut to Spike and this is where it's like kind of unclear. He's having like flashes of stuff he's done. Um, so it's like he kind of remembers, but kind of not. But then he's like, he has to leave the apartment. Xander tries to stop him. And Spike says he's going out to prove Buffy wrong. Xander won't let him leave, so he just knocks him out. But we do get, I feel like that bit was important to know that, ooh, his chip is working, just not when he's like under the thrall of the first evil, right? 
Yeah, I think that whole interaction with Xander is just to set up that the chip still works. Yeah. Even though, like, two episodes later or whatever, they're like, oh, no, the chip's not working properly anymore. Time to get rid of that. Um, <laughs> but in this moment, I think it's supposed to confirm for the audience that Spike is not actually in control of himself. Yeah, yeah I would agree with that. Um, then we then we cut to Amy Mann playing at the bronze. Um, yeah. Yay. <laughs> um, and Spike is kind of like, he's like talking to people and this woman comes up to him who seems very flirty. He says he's looking for someone he met the other night. And she says, was it, is it me? Which one assumes is her just being flirty. But then we learn she literally meant, oh, but you did meet me the other night because he sired her and she puts on her vamp face. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that she says, I'm not asking if you want to be soulmates. I'm just seeing if you want to have some fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the one of the great moments in this scene is uh, when she points out the couple that she wants them to eat. And she's yes. like, I'll take him, you take her, which is obviously a reference to Drusilla yeah. um, a couple of seasons ago. Um, yeah. yeah, I feel like this whole episode is the seduction of Spike. <laughs> everyone in this episode is trying to seduce spike for one reason or another like even the even the women that he ends up killing he's always shown as not being the one who's initiating the conversations like the girl in purple is like coming on to him like it's very interesting how he's the one that everyone's trying to come on to yeah and, (laughs) and and the vamps line of um was I just a one bite stand? That is <laughs> epic. <laughs> it's so ridiculous, but I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, Adam, is this like a famous Amy Mann song or? Um, so I mean, again, like famous to me. I can't. Really, every time I talk about Amy Mann on Twitter, like it's whenever all my followers go to sleep. But like, um, <laughs> she the, like this album came out. So some context, this came out, um, this episode was late 2002. So this is from the album Lost in Space that she released earlier that summer. This happened between my freshman and sophomore years in college and was the moment um, for me. Like this was the album for me. Like this is okay. all of these are, um, yeah, Pavlov's Bell. And um, I think it's, this is how it goes. But either the whole album is, like all of Amy Mann's songs in general, this is why she's a really perfect fit for this season specifically in this episode, maybe specifically is that a lot of Amy Mann's songs are about, um, they're not just this like cheating person did me wrong. Kind of like a, like your classic sort of thing. Like this is about like, these are love songs about like being disappointed in yourself, which is, um, I, to me so much more of a real emotion than like, I'm going to, um, I hate this person. Like there, there are those songs, you know, and that that's a real emotion, but I think so much more of, of relationships are you blame yourself. Um, even for something that went like when it falls apart, even if you weren't the wrong party, you blame yourself for believing it as long as you did and for, for being in it as long as you did and being, feeling like you, you deserve that. Like all of her songs are really about that. They're really about, being so, so, so profoundly disappointed in yourself that you're smarter than this. Why did this happen to you? And so that's definitely a big Buffy Spike thing, especially right now, especially kind of what we talked about earlier about um, really, really wanting to give a second, third, fourth, fifth chance to someone you care about. Um, and then they let you down again. Hmm. So um, 
it, she's actually like, I mean, I, I can't be sure if they really went this in, in deep. I right, know yeah. she was promoting the album was probably a big fan of the show, but like, I the, like this album and this artist specifically, like could not have been more perfect for this season. Um, like had she shown up in the bronze in like high school years, I would have been like, that's maybe a little more incongruous. This is, um, for me, this is her pinnacle album. Um, every other album after that it's like amazing but this is when um maybe it's just in my life but like this spoke to like every single track speaks exactly to my to my hmm. life at that time like it, this was like the album that helped me come out every everything um so i could i could keep going on and on about this so i'll let everybody <laughs> else talk <laughs> well also what's interesting is she's the only musician who ever speaks a line in Buffy yeah. mm-hmm. of all the musicians who play the bronze other than you know obviously Giles playing the bronze at <laughs> one point but like there's no other outside act that they brought in that ever had a line to deliver like Biff Naked didn't Chibamato like all those mm-hmm. you know um so yeah. I do wonder how much maybe you know obviously the writers must have really enjoyed her on some level but I wonder you know, maybe there is more to it. She, especially in the very early 2000s, late 90s, had a very big profile. She had just come off of um, how I had discovered her, which is Magnolia. She does all the songs in that. Um, she oh. uh, was nominated for an Oscar for um, Save Me from Magnolia. Um, and so this was her, I think this was her first big post-Magnolia album. Um, and so, and she was very, she was featured in... God, she was featured in something. I feel like she was in the Big Lebowski. She like show. She was like sort of like her profile was known. Um, and she know. was the Starbucks album. Absolutely, because yeah. She was one of like the like there was this period of time where Starbucks was selling one album or two albums right in oh, yeah. the cash register, and this is like the moment in the early two thousands where everyone gets obsessed with Starbucks, and she was the like quintessential Starbucks album. Right. Um, I remember it being so popular, Amy Mann, but specifically everybody bought it from Starbucks, like all these people who didn't know her. Right. Um. Sort of what happened to Feist five years later. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> which another one I love. Like again, like I, exactly. I a former barista. This is I was just like I just love all these women who do Starbucks albums. Um, but like it, so, um, yeah. I mean, like Amy Mann was and continues to be the the soundtrack queen. She had a big track on um, uh, the Cruel Intention soundtrack. So you know, SMG connection. So you know, maybe this. I think this is one of those things where. It's also very Los Angeles, Amy Mann. Like, there, like there's mm-hmm. a whole, um, there's a there's a music club, Club Largo, uh, and I'm not sure how active it is right now anymore. But like during that time, um, it was the cool place to hang out. And this was, I, I went to Chapman University, which is a film school down in Orange County, like just outside of LA. So like the cool thing was to like drive into LA, go to Largo. And see like John Bryan, see Amy Mann, um, and then you'd see like Julianne Moore in the audience. Um, oh, mm. like everybody was big fan. Like it was just one of these things where, like, it was all these sort of like it's where you would have like the big drama people at that time really mingling with music people and mingling with c- comedy people because there was a lot of like Paul of Tompkins, like a lot of the the Mr. Show people. Um, so like everybody sort of just kind of knew each other then. So I, I have no doubt that like she was well known, well liked. Boom had an album out. Um, people knew she was super game for stuff. Had a cheeky presence, um, was in stuff. So yeah, like absolutely. If you're going to give the first line to a bronze performer, 
she's one. <laughs> so we get so Spike uh, stakes this vampire woman, throws her off the balcony as he's staking her. She explodes into dust on the ground, and Amy Man stops. Everyone kind of looks around, and then she's just like, "Well, keep going," and then they keep playing. Um, we this is to- an interesting moment, though. Just yeah. okay. to just uh-huh. pause for this because this is actually so interesting. I was thinking about it when I was rewatching it that um, this is the character progression of Sunnydale. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. Because if you go back to the first season, even like the first time we're in the bronze when it gets attacked by vampires, the reaction is completely different. In the first season, you know, they see a vampire, everyone's screaming and freaking out. But Mm -hmm. after seven years of it, people don't even like they just stop their conversations and then they go right back to it <laughs> and and look and not a moment too soon because like that was the that was the for me that was the plot all i was just like why are people still going to this club where people always don't always come out alive um i guess during covid times i'm also like you know like oh sometimes people just ignore stuff like that because they want to hang out <laughs> Um, sometimes sometimes that happens but uh yeah that's it's one of those things um where uh yeah it, it that is the perfect progression and Amy Mann is the perfect like performer because she's so um like dry and unflappable um and as someone who has seen her many times in uh, live I will tell you she again like someone could this is the rowdiest her audiences have ever gotten by the way like I at her <laughs> most recent one in um for her album Mental Illness I went to in 2017 uh like it was me in like the crowd of like very much 50 somethings. And we were all sitting very respectfully for two hours. It was great. <laughs> Listen, as I get older, those are the only concerts I like going to. <laughs> I know. I need to watch how many times they say stuff like that. Cause I'm just like, it was me with a bunch of like middle-aged people. Oh wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're approaching that. Adam. <laughs> approaching. In it. Yeah. Um, so then we get Buffy searching for Spike and she's outside this club. I love that the bouncer, like, is letting her cut the line because, like, she's hot. So he's like, yeah, you can go in. But she's looking for Spike. And I love this this line. I can remember being, like, gooped by this line when I watched it live. When he's like, oh, the Billy Idol wannabe? And she's like, actually, Billy Idol stole his look. Like, I loved Yeah, That was... It's Ugh. so men in black, like to be like, <laughs> ooh, the, like the pop culture winky winky. Who I love it. By, yeah, yeah, I, I love it. I think I think it's just it's it's perfect. It's perfect. Like that's, that's peak Buffy, peak Buffy <laughs> writing. I think you know when they do make those references to other pop culture things. Um, yeah, I, and the whole Billy Idol thing, you know, and we always think of Lost Boys as well, and the David character and that, and. Um, I watched something recently as well where they linked those two together, Spike and David and Lost Boys and um, how they would have been mates and stuff. And it, yeah, it's really cool. Perfect pop culture referencing. Because you know what? I do remember when like Fool for Love came out. I remember a posting board being like, oh, like he's got the Billy. Like I remember it being like a conversation like, oh, he had the Billy Idol look before Billy Idol was famous. Yeah. And so, like, them, like, fitting that into the universe of, like, oh, he did kind of dress like Billy Idol before Billy Idol was a thing. Um, Because that was the 70s, not the 80s. I loved it. Um, And I think the, I like the conversation we have here where he's, like, is he your boyfriend? Because he's a real player. And she's, like, no, he's not my boyfriend. He's, like, well, you know, my advice to you would be to, like, ditch this guy who's not your boyfriend because he's no good. Then we cut to Spike on the pay on a payphone which like it's so weird how that like instantly dates it (laughs) yeah 
<laughs> Buffy's um, one was probably worse, actually, though. Her mobile was awful. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, and Amy Mann gets her her line, Adam. What's her line? <laughs> uh, I hate playing vampire towns. Ah, uh, she does. And she, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's um, she. Like, Amy Man is the perfect, like, person for this because, like, again, this is someone who you could believe is, like, super high profile, super prominent, who could slip into this role and be like, oh, man, I love this song. I love her. I love this. But also, this isn't, like, Christina Aguilera. You wouldn't be like, what's she doing going to Sunnydale? Like, you can <laughs> like, she's a gig artist. Like, you can tell right. she's... Yeah. You could tell she was, like, she, you know, like, she's an artist who, like, loves being on the road, loves playing you know, these little, these smaller venues. She loves an intimate venue. She loves that little space. Um, and damn it, she's fine. She'll do the vampire towns, but because they <laughs> yeah. do pay good, but she, she hates it. Yeah. I've got visions of Spike killing Christina Aguilera now. <laughs> right. I was trying to think of like who else was like 2002. I was like, I was like, oh man, Samantha Mumba would not be. Oh, oh, no, <laughs> Adam, I'm, you're like oh, Ashanti would never. Oh wait, <laughs> ah, well, yeah. Wait a few episodes. Uh, yeah. So he calls Buffy from a payphone. He gives her the address of a house to meet at. And then we get the first as Spike kind of being like, ah, 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 that wasn't part of our plan, but now we're going to change it. We're going to kill her anyway. So she meets him at this house, which ever since Adam, you and Kirsten pointed this out, I think of this a lot, how like houses in California, houses, especially in Southern California, don't have basements. It's like literally don't like, it's not like, Oh, they tend to not like they just, they don't. And yet oh. every house in Sunnydale has a basement. So much basement, <laughs> much basement. Yeah. Um, Spike walks her down to the basement. Um, and like, but then the first is there and we get like him kind of talking to the first and we kind of get what Buffy was seeing. Right. Like, when she saw him in the basement, he would be talking to other people. We see, like, oh, Buffy saw him as not talking to anyone, but he was always probably talking to the first. So he kind of confesses that he remembers killing these people. But then this, the first, what? They start singing that song, and Spike kind of, like, is triggered. Yeah, They have, like, you know, their fight, but then all the vampires yeah. come out of their grave, where he buried them in this dirt basement. Which is cool, which is legit cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have two things to say about this. One is um, that the line in the song, how could you use a poor maiden? So I think Spike is the maiden. Oh yeah. 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 I think, you know, cause again, I think like this whole thing is about the seduction of Spike Yeah, and like the first is kind of chuckling to itself about how it is using him, you know, like Spike is the maiden. And then the second thought is that like Spike's, biting spree has been all seductions and then we get a bunch of men coming out of yes. the grave as well so i'm like okay spike canonically bisexual <laughs> yeah because the, the vampire in the bronze also said all the other way around right she so, she does say that she's like whatever <laughs> yeah so maybe it was a little nod to spike likes a little bit of man on listen, man listen well, there's no way he was carrying around with drusilla for that long through that you know oh. through those you know, flapper eras and whatnot where she, you know, cause she's, 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 she's boss. Like, I, I feel like she would have kind of like insisted on at least like, yeah. all right, I will invite a third into this, but like, yeah. they'll have to be men from time to time. Yeah. And you gotta like, have some fun with it. Not right. just like, don't be all like, Oh no boys. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's so funny because like, I feel like 
and this, you know, this, I don't know if this quite gets ever explored in, in Buffy, but like, you know, I, you know, there's a lot of these vampires sort of predate a lot of the man baggage, you know, yeah, some right. of us have. So like, yeah, I don't think it's like, oh, it's something that like, you know, Angel or, or, uh, or Spike would really be bothered by. No, right. they're not. They're not yelling no homo. Like they don't give a shit. No, no. They have had I'm, much bigger problems. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, whilst whilst you mentioned Drusilla, I mean, I'm sure you've probably spoke about it on previous podcasts, but and obviously with the the potential um, storyline going through this, I mean, do we do we think Drusilla was a potential slayer, and that's why she had these visions? I, I love when people, I, I love that theory. I don't know that I 100% buy it, but I do love yeah, that. I love it because I think like to, the two loves of Spike's life were two slayers. If yeah. it would have been Drusilla and Buffy, I love that. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, That's so, a great symmetry, yeah. 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 Um, so then, you know, Buffy gets attacked by all these, all the vamps. Um, they kind of gang up on her. They hold her for Spike to kill. The first evil's like, you gotta do it, or she's gonna kill you. Spike gets to her, and then, like, quote-unquote, remembers everything, kind of falls backwards. Buffy then dusts every vampire, and I do... Buffy does, like, fights in closed spaces pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, the show, slash also the character. I do like the way she's able to just, like, dust them all, like, one by one, um, in this, like, small, crowded basement. Yeah. Although, it's very funny that she kicks one of them through the basement wall and somehow there's more basement. Yes. <laughs> so much basement. Like, it's so much basement. Like I, I have to just credit this to being like, it's the hell mouth. Like we, we literally <laughs> see it at the end of the series. Like it, the, you know, the ground goes deeper and deeper and deeper. This isn't every time. This is only a Sun- Sunnydale thing in California because like yeah. I can't, like my body rejects this. <laughs> right. Cause like, that's not how basements work. <laughs> More basement. Yeah. yeah like, like, oh, no. yeah. What basement have you ever been in where there's like a wall covering up further into the, ba- I mean, maybe in one of those creepy YouTube videos where someone discovers like that right. they have a coal chamber they don't know exists, but like really you don't see that in a basement. And I just thought it was so hilarious that she kicks this vampire right through <laughs> the wall and there's just more, more basement behind it. Well, it, it kind of makes you question what that old lady that owned the house was, was doing. Maybe she killed someone and had, had somebody in that other room. Listen, that lady had to be real rich to have that apartment in yeah. LA with a basement. And I also love that Buffy pulls her out of the grave and's like, yeah. "Sorry, ma'am, it's my job." And the lady's like, "Oh, <laughs> it's yeah, like that's so one ridiculous. of my favorites." <laughs> I also I did have this thing where I was rewatching it and I realized the moment Spike snaps out of it and realizes he's doing like when they're holding Buffy is when Mm. he licks her blood from the cut on her arm. And I was like, are we saying Buffy's blood is magical or are we saying like Spike's love for Buffy is magical, but like something about that very Mm. specific act of like licking the blood out of her wound is what snaps him out of it. You know? Yeah. Always something to do with her already being dead. I, I almost think it's like when you smell a scent and it reminds you of that person. Yeah. It's like he tasted her taste and it reminded him of I her. do like that more than getting into that blood magic stuff. Um, 
which would go in the opposite of like the finale where it's like every, every you're all slaves. Um, uh, but sure. Yeah. But sure. <laughs> but yeah. I listen, right. I just, in general, I'm just like, it's, it's, you know, that we're, we're kind of in this, the two thousands were definitely the era of like chosen one narratives. And so it's like, yeah, you kind of do have to get into this weird place where it's like, is there a specific bloodline? Is there, is this a, you know, more of a spiritual thing? Yeah. Ooh. But so I do, the thing I like here is that, so Spike's kind of like, just do it. Just kill me. And yeah. Buffy almost immediately connects the dots here. Um, and she's like something like she's like remembering, Oh, Willow said something was playing them. Something is also playing Spike because she did see him talking to something that she could not see earlier. Um, and I like that she kind of immediately is just like, oh, something is, you know, she says, playing with us, all of us. Takes Spike back to the house. She kind of fills everyone in. Um, and then we get our little MCU post-credits scene, even though it's not post-credits, of Giles this, going to the apartment. This gagged me. This was, Okay, no, so this, yeah. was, this was something where I feel like season seven was starting to really cook was like, I don't think I've, to this day, haven't seen... <laughs> like a credit scene and like, or, or sort of like a, a cliffhanger and like just sort of mid word. It's so shocking. Yeah. 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 And obviously it, it's, it sets up for that storyline of is Giles dead? Um, and they think that he's the first in the house and all that in a few more episodes time. And I think it sets up a really, really good part of the story. I think it's, yeah, it's really, really amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, Adam. Same though. I remember being like, <gasps> like a, a, a like biggest gayest gasp I could possibly yeah. elicit when I saw that scene live, and being like, no, like it's such a good cliffhanger. I think it was just like impossible to even bounce back of once you get to the next episode. Never yeah. leave me, where it's like he swirls back and stops the axe with his hand in time. Like, right. I was like, that's where I get um. <laughs> Uh, very Kathy Bates in Misery, where I'm like, that's yeah. not possible. He couldn't have stopped the act. Like, um, but <laughs> it is a good question. Yeah, I, I, remember, I remember like pausing, pausing the screen all the time. Like, how close was the axe to his head? How close <laughs> like, is this possible? Uh, it, yeah. Adam's got Jana Spencer in his room, and he's like, <laughs> type it again on the typewriter. <laughs> that's cheating. Yeah. Like. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. I was positive that Giles was going to be the first and I was going to be so upset. And while yeah. I do, I do understand like that is a cool idea. I just, that if that would have been too cruel, right. For like the rest of the season for Giles to actually be the first. I don't know. Yeah. And I think after like Willow turning, I think having Giles evil, I, I, I don't know. I, he's he's yeah. like my dad. He's like all of our dads, right? Like yeah. you, you don't want your dad to be evil. <laughs> My, he's nicer than most I know me with my daddy issues I'm just like I, anybody who has like a fatherly energy I'm just like pulls a gun like get back <laughs> <laughs> that's close enough <laughs> get away from me <laughs> uh, I did think it was like really useful tension for several of the episodes that follow though because it's yeah. so shocking it's like oh my god and it's, you know, obviously one of the central characters of the show, even though they tried to in the final seasons kind of limit his role, he's still, he's Giles, you know? Yeah. Um, and I loved not knowing. I think it would have been such a disappointment if he did turn out to be the first. Yeah. Yeah. Same. It, it just would have been too much because we love Giles and like, 
he is the good dad. He is the the good parent figure. And the only other parent figure we had on the show was Joyce, and she's been dead for two seasons. Right, so like, yeah. don't kill the other one. Um, yeah, I feel like that's. <laughs> I was gonna say I was like trying to think of another show that like actually killed that major of a beloved character and then just like did it. And I think that's probably was Tara and True Blood, um, who got stakes like off camera like between seasons <laughs> that sort of thing and i was just like well that's the end of that character so yeah i don't know how often they would do that but yeah and now for a quick break folks do you love movies the good ones even the bad ones everyone told you not to like it sounds like super yaki is the place for you the team at super yaki loves movies so much so, they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top-quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts celebrating the 20th anniversary of the cinematic masterpiece Josie and the Pussycats, to comfy sweatshirts made for the brave members of the Movies by Yourself Club. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors, like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks, and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with the code SUPERSLAYERFEST, all caps, no spaces, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies, y'all. And now to talk about the fashion of Sleeper, the Buffy Season 7 costume designer. Matt Van Dyne. Hello. Hi, Matt. (laughs) Hi. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Hi, everybody. I had to pause and think, oh, yeah, I was the costume designer. (laughs) I swear, I am so bad at this. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's me. Okay. (laughs) So what do you got for us for this episode? Oh, what have I got? Let's see. Sleeper. Well, okay. What? Okay. I watched the episode, of course, as I said. (laughs) Uh, I said previously in other podcasts that uh, I like to look at the episode to jog my memory. And uh, it did a little bit, uh, not terrifically, (laughs) but but it did. But thank goodness I do do have my original script and I do have um, uh, records of what we purchased on the show, which is always kind of fun to go back and look at because um, it kind of brings it all back to me in a way about the experience of, you know, shopping for the show. And what I noticed right away is, well, this episode is a continuation of the previous episode. And I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm sure we made a note of that somewhere, but I didn't write it down. But I thought, oh, that probably gave us some breathing space to flush out the rest of the the episode of Sleeper. So, uh, because, you know, if you're, you know, you already have, things established basically is what how we usually say it and so there were costumes established so that gave us time to okay well they're going to wear that there so we don't have to deal with that but now we can concentrate on these other people and in these other places where we have to go uh buy costumes and you know what struck out uh stuck out for me in this episode is Hmm. that that uh emma caulfield what a what a doll what a doll (laughs) (laughs) just i just remember i just love dressing her i mean what a beautiful little body 
you know, yeah. she has. And I, I just even made a note of that when I was watching the episode. I thought, oh, she's just such a pretty little thing. <laughs> and her, her beaded top, I thought, oh, that's, I remember that top. And it, that, uh, that top that was cream with the little jets, black jets on it, mm-hmm. that was, um, it really wasn't that expensive. It came from uh, Macy's, and it was a DKNY top, okay. and it was $190. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, but not really. Not for, not for, that, t- uh, not for that time with all the detail on it. Okay. And, but I'm sure today it would be, it would be a lot more money. Than right, that. yeah. Yeah. Oh, but another thing uh, that jogged my memory when I'm watching, I'm thinking, I, uh, is uh, the place called the bronze i believe yeah yes yeah and making costumes and i remember buying leather and things for the uh people who worked in the bronze so we oh. we, we we did make costumes for them because i have notes of buying grommets and leather huh. so i don't know that you see it so much in the episode yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> i didn't really <laughs> but yeah i was um uh, I was thinking, oh yeah, we were building, you know, a lot, a lot of uh, costumes for that, for that establishment. So, you know, the bronze, <laughs> and uh, also I was uh, noticing. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, like I thought, oh, the bouncer on the outside of the the bronze. I was looking at his uh, muscle T-shirt, and that uh, was where did we get that? That came from. Robinson's May, a store that doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> and it was, it was just, it was like for a t-shirt, 70 bucks, you know, that was pretty expensive back then. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, but yeah, I was just thinking how times change and uh, you know, the stores, you know, where we'd shop, you know, but some, some, you know, some clothing lines are still with us. Uh, uh, for example, uh, the huge cow neck sweater that Sarah wears in the episode. Mm-hmm. That was a theory sweater, and that came from Saks, and that was $195. Now, we must have purchased multiples of those because you see her get right. sliced you know, on the arm there. And uh, uh, so yeah, I'm sure we had several of those. Oh, and one uh, thing that I, I, I do recall, that black shirt that Spike wears when he's getting dressed mm-hmm. and leaving, and it was a Mark Jacobs shirt. Which sure. okay. was the sec? I thought was a very sexy, sexy shirt, and it came from Barney's, and that was uh, pricey at the time. Barney's again not with us anymore, right? But, but uh, three hundred sixty dollars for a shirt—that was pretty holy shit. Three, pretty expensive, yeah. But it, <laughs> but it, I think it got the message across, <laughs> across, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and uh, his pants uh, uh, came from Barney's, and uh, they were. Like two hundred and forty dollars, I think something like that. Wow. Please, yeah. Some black boots that I thought weren't so expensive. They were an in-house uh, brand of clothing at Barney's called Co-op, and they were one hundred ninety-five dollars mm. at the time. Okay, but yeah, I mean, as I watched the episode, you know, I just recalled, you know, what we had to buy. But I was, I was interested in the end, you know, with uh, uh, Giles. I thought, okay, huh. Where did we? I think that came from his closet. You know, we. Oh, really? Yeah, I think we just. I mean, uh, the closet we made for him. I should say. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, not 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 his own personal closet, but, <laughs> but I think we just built a, uh, a a stock wardrobe for him. You know, and then we pulled from that. You know, for 
for that, that episode. Sense. Yeah, for that episode. But there were lots of like little, you know, pe- people. The dead girl. I I didn't find where we bought her clothing. The uh, it looked like maybe something like maybe guess clothing. I'm not sure. You know, hmm. with the uh, no the leopard or whatever on the you know the fur trim and all that on yeah. the collar. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I, I didn't have a note for that. Hmm. So I was I, I I'm I'm at a loss for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall. I don't recall. But and yeah, and then the character you know at the uh, spike is her name Charlotte, I believe at the at the well at least that was her original name. I don't know if they ever referred to her or that the woman he ends up tangling with at the bar and uh, fighting. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. I, 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 I couldn't find anything on her clothing. I don't know what, uh, where we got that. I'm not sure. I, I, I looked in my notes, but uh, I'm sorry to disappoint. I don't, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, it, it, it basically in my script, it's just a lot of, you know, spike, you know, undresses here, he's naked here, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So uh, we have to keep track of that, you know, as we, we do the episode because, uh, you know, okay, where is he going now? And where is he, you know, would he change? Would he not, you know, and that kind of thing, you know? So, so yeah. So basically that's, that's what I remember from that episode. And I was looking for Anya's little floral top. I have not found that. I was trying to find that. I thought, Oh, that's so cute. But I don't remember that either. (laughs) (laughs) Just just that I think it still holds up and still looks pretty adorable, you know, on on her. And of course, you know, and Sarah just, Sarah to me just looks kind of timeless as I watch these episodes. And I I think that's, uh, that's kind of nice, you know, that it doesn't look extremely dated. It doesn't. No, I... No. Matt, I always before I even met you, I would always say that about season seven. Was oh, did that you really? Did you? I really, yeah. The outfits look really good, and they like. I feel like, I mean, aside, we, you and I did joke about this in one of the episodes with Xander having like such baggy clothes. Oh, the baggy but, clothes, yeah. The baggy yeah. pants, yeah. <laughs> but aside from pants. that, I yeah. think, yeah, all of like the women, those were outfits that yes. like yeah, women would women, wear now. Yeah, yes, yes, it is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's true. That's the thing I notice about shirts, though, for the men. I think, well, shirts, the sleeves are much more, you know, uh, body, right. body forming, and yeah, than they are, you know, than they were then. They were bigger, but but overall, yes, the the especially the ladies' clothing, yeah, it's it's kind of it is, and the jewelry as well. It's not, it's not, yeah extremely dated it it just looks right to me and uh i think that's a, a testament to terry dressback the, the designer uh earlier and then what and then I, to you too <laughs> I, I guess i can't say that part i, I knew you I didn't can't. want to say that part no, so I, I, can't, I can't i can't say that but thank you <laughs> thank you but yeah no, i i'm proud of that because it doesn't look too foreign to the eye today you know yeah I, you know, because you know, you will watch a lot of old episodes of shows, certain shows anyway, right? And you go, oh, yeah, that really looks, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, they used to wear that. That's right, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it was. It's kind of especially cr- something like Sex in the City. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very trendy. Uh, that, yeah. Of course, that was kind of the idea. I think of that show. Right. But yeah, it's funny. Yeah, uh, that designer kind of d- did that kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but she's a very successful designer. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I like that it looks kind of classic. 
You know, yeah, I, I like that. I'm, 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 I am proud of that. So, all right. Do you got anything else? Anything else to uh, say about this episode? Or uh, I think that's about it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, thank you. thank you for joining us, Matt. It's always a pleasure. Okay. Well, it's a pleasure for me to be with you and be with everyone. So, thank you. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Okay, now that we're at the end here, favorite scene, Morden? My favorite scene is Anya searching Spike's room and then having to like pivot to seducing him. It's so funny. It's so perfect. It's such a um, perfect encapsulation of her character. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I could watch that on a loop and I would never stop laughing. (laughs) Uh, Nathan? Yeah, I'm going to go for Buffy dusting all the vamps. I mean, there's nothing that to me is sexier than when Buffy dusts about six vamps in one go. That is, <laughs> that is everything to me. Adam? I mean, obviously the Amy Mann scene. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I do, but I do think also, like, my other big takeaway is the, the Giles cliffhanger. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to go with Morgan. My The Anya spike, Anya trying to seduce him and, like, failing and then hurting her own feelings. I just... That scene is perfect. I love it. I could have I could have done with more scenes like that this season of Anya. Favorite outfit, Nathan? I'm going to go for Buffy's cute little sort of turtleneck thing that she's wearing in the okay. basement. Um, yeah, I think this cute. I, I love her in a jumper. I don't know why. Yeah, I think because, you know, she's such a slim, slender girl. Like when you chuck a jumper on her and she's still like damn hot. Yeah, it's, it's got to be. You know, I said that to the costume designer for a conversation with dead people. I said, like, not everyone looks good in a chunky sweater, but, like, she really does look good in a chunky sweater. Yeah. It's like her and Chris Evans, end of list. (laughs) Um, Yes. Adam, what was your favorite outfit? Uh, Gonna go with Amy Mann again in her, like, candy, like, Jack Skellington kind of suit top. Like, (laughs) it's just like the striped. It's like if candy striped was haunted. Like, it's just perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Morgan? I am going to go with Anya. I got to say that like transparent, like cream top with the black beads on it. It just looks really nice. And like her hair looks good. Like, yeah, her whole vibe is good. Yeah. Uh, Once again, Morgan, I'm same. I, she looks great. Her arms look fantastic in that scene. Also, I meant to point out, like she looks pretty jacked and I just, it's a cute top, right? I don't know. Now grade for the episode. Uh, Morgan, what grade do you give it? Um, I would give this a B plus, <laughs> okay. to be honest. Okay. I mean, I love this season. I think it did some good things, but kind of because it comes right after conversations with dead people, I feel like it's a bit of a drop off in terms of how much I enjoy it, you know? Okay. Like That's it's fair. just too built up from the previous one. Uh, Nathan? Yeah, I think I agree. I'd probably give it a maybe a little bit less, maybe a B, but I feel like it builds up for some good episodes where we learn more about how that song affects Spike and then obviously Giles, everybody thinking Giles is dead. And I think it leads up to more, but it's kind of more of a filler, mm-hmm. I guess. That's fair. Uh, Adam? Gosh, I can't believe I'm rating this the high. I'm A minus. I like this episode. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I did. I actually found Conversations with Dead People to be a little on the cute side. Um, so I found this to be kind of like a welcome, sort of like I did enjoy a lot of uh, people's energies in this a lot more. Oh, all right. Um, I give it a B, uh, like solid B. Yeah. 
Thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for listening. If you liked Slayer Fest 98, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other corners of the internet. You can find us on social media at SlayerFestX98. You can support us on Patreon. We get access to our Sex Positive video talk series, My Nudie Judy, all of our bonus episodes. We're currently going through Harley Quinn and um, our private Facebook group, monthly Patreon Zooms, and more. And it's much appreciated. If you want to follow me, I am at Ian Carlos. Morgan, where can everyone find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Morgan M. Page. And you can follow One from the Vaults, my trans history podcast, on um, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Or Google Play, if that still exists. <laughs> it does not, because that's why I had to stop saying that. <laughs> uh, I also, yeah, I have a Patreon too, patreon.com slash OFTV. But anyway, yeah, you'll find me. <laughs> and Nathan, where can everyone find you? Yeah, I'm on most social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. It is at Nathan Wyburn Art. And you can see some of my cool, like Buffy related stuff that I've created and loads of other pop culture things. Yeah, you've done a lot of Buffy pieces, right? Yeah, I've got to present them to most of the cast, to be honest, which is great. Um, so cool. Yeah, loads of Buffy using like fake blood and like garlic puree and stuff like that. Like, it's, it's just so much fun. Yeah, I, I I can say that Nathan's art is very impressive. You should all right. check it out. Okay. I think my favorite Buffy one I've done, though, is Yellow Crayon, which I got to present to Alison Hannigan, which was oh, just nice. amazing. Nice. Uh, Adam, where can everyone find you and where can they buy your book? You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Sass. You can also go to my webpage, adamsassbooks.com. My debut young adult thriller, uh, Surrender Your Sons, uh, can be bought wherever you buy your books. And if you go to my website, you can also check out my upcoming book next year, The 99 Boyfriends of Micah Summers. Yay. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.